But now our busy lives prevented such frivolous indulgences. We were lucky if we managed three games a year. All the more reason, I would have thought, for my retirement from the game to have been accepted more readily. Well, I suppose you should listen to what your body's telling you, said Brad, who was always the first to be conciliatory. Brad looked younger than his forty-one years, boyish almost. I looked at him and remembered how much irritation his looks had caused me over the years. Too many girls thought he was cute, and it wasn't fair. I'd always taken some comfort in the fact that he wasn't a very good footballer. That's why we put him in goal. Although, regrettably, my retirement from the sport now made that consolation redundant. Brad's emotional life had always been much more complicated than mine. We'd met in 1985 as performers in a West End musical called Lennon, and at that stage Brad was already a father figure to Sarah, the daughter of Kate, the woman he lived with. He and Kate no longer lived together, but they were great friends. In fact, Brad was now married to someone else, Claire, but then he didn't live with her either. Instead, they too were great friends who happened to be waiting on a divorce. A pattern was beginning to emerge in Brad's love life, but this wasn't the time or place to discuss it. Tony, if it feels right to stop the football, then you should do what you want, continued Brad. Yes, but what do you want? inquired Kevin. What do you mean? I replied. Well, said Kevin, somehow adopting the swagger of a courtroom barrister, if you had to pick two things you wanted, if you had to, what would you pick? I hesitated. This was a bigger question than was usually asked at these post-match debriefs. I resisted the temptation to opt for the easy way out, the humorous reply, so often the Englishman's refuge from confrontation with his true feelings. I suppose the honest answer would be, I said, still accessing the last pieces of required data from a jumbled mind, the two things would be meeting my soulmate and finding an idyllic house abroad somewhere. Where? asked Kevin. Where what? If you mean where will I find my soulmate, then God knows. No, where would you buy the house? In France, I think. In the mountains somewhere. So we could ski in the winter. Kevin produced a satisfied smile of anticipation. Like me, he was a keen skier. He'd introduced me to the sport years ago in what now seemed like another lifetime. In 1982, he'd worked in a school in the French Alps as part of his university degree. And when I'd visited him, he'd insisted I join in with the pupils' ski outing on Wednesday and Friday afternoons. Kevin had been my ski instructor, even though at the time he himself had no real idea how to ski. His tuition had taught me two things. How to do an emergency stop when travelling at dangerously high speeds. How to suspend all natural instincts for self-preservation or feel any concern for the safety of others who were foolish enough to be in the way. Kevin had been married, but despite a promising start, matrimonial bliss had somehow disintegrated. And for the best part of a decade, he'd been adapting to the life of a divorced man. I guess, along with the rest of us, the five-a-side football had been one of the things that helped him through it all. Kevin is roughly the same height as Maradona, but despite his best efforts, doesn't resemble him greatly in any footballing sense. He's a nifty little player, however, and although I wouldn't go as far as to say he was the best in our team, he was definitely in the top five. Why France? asked Brad. Because I speak pretty good French, and I've been there a lot, and I've always liked the place. France is good, said Tim, who'd finally arrived with a large tray of drinks and crisps. That's where we've got our place. I turned to him in shock. 
Your place? I asked. Yes, I thought I'd told you. Luce and I have bought a rundown house not far from Limoges. I didn't know that, I said, still surprised. You sneaky bugger. I thought it was always going to be me who'd be the first to buy a house abroad. The fact that Tim had omitted to discuss the purchase of a French house with me wasn't so much a sign that we were best friends who drifted apart, more that he was a father of two and I wasn't. Our lives didn't really coincide anymore. I went to drinks parties and he went to PTA meetings at the local school. On occasion, when I'd been heading off to a book launch or a cocktail party, I might have noted a soupçon of envy in his eye, just as he might have spotted the same in mine each time his children leapt into his arms when he opened his front door. Tim, why on earth did you buy a house in France? I demanded. We see it as a good investment. Property is cheap. We'll do the place up and it'll make money. Plus, it'll be a fab place for the family holiday.